We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Hour Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we could finally talk about the offseason and what has transpired. What a roller coaster of a couple of weeks and when the dust has settled. And we have a whole new team. Aside from LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Marc Gasol, Taylor Horton Tucker resign. After that, there's a whole bunch of roster turnover. And zooming out and rather than breaking down each player's individual games, which is not possible at the moment, which I'll get into in a bit, but in zooming out and what do these guys kind of have in common and what is the conception or what is the conceptualization of this roster? Darius, I see a team that we've turned the dial significantly more toward offense now and away from defense, right? We've gotten better on the offensive end. We've gotten worse on the defensive end, how that shakes down. If we've gotten a greater degree better on offense, then we have gotten worse on defense. All of that remains to be seen and is an evaluation of all of these very new parts that anybody who tells you how this is going to look exactly is lying to you, right? There's too much new about this. And that's part of what's so remarkable about it. But when I do zoom out, there are a couple of things that stand out like, oh, we're going to be more of this kind of team. And that turn of the dial toward offense is the first thing that stands out to me. A couple of pods ago, I had made the case for something like this. Right. This idea of, hey, if you've got a baseline level of size and athleticism and competitiveness and want sort of like on the defensive end, then what happens if you skew more towards getting offensive players? Right. And little did I know <laughs> that they would go this far in that direction. Because I'm not actually sure if the Lakers have that baseline level of versatility and size and defensive want. I, I yeah, actually how, don't know it. How far is, is this turn in that direction? Yeah. How, how severe is it in your mind of a change from a defensive squad to an offensive one? It's pretty far. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it just is. like. So I will say this, that 
LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Marcus Gasol, Dwight Howard, right? To a certain extent, Trevor Ariza, and even Kent Bazemore on a certain level, right? Those are all dudes that I think take pride in defense or who over the course of their careers at one point or another have made their bones as I can be a this level defensive guy. And Mm -hmm. if you were watching the video of recording right now, you would see that my hand was up high (laughs) and that's maybe half the rotation right now. Right. But it's not the entire rotation. And Mike, there is a certain amount of shift that has happened as we're acknowledging now. And I'm wondering from your perspective, like, is that encouraging to you that they're moving in this direction or, or just what are your general thoughts about this shift? Like, do you even agree that this was sort of prioritized offensively because maybe you don't see it the same way that we just laid it out right now? We'll never know for sure. Other than however, Rob Palinka answers that question as to if it was a, a matter of, okay, this is a specific area that I either need to or want to address versus the players that were available, like the best players just sort of period, this year happened to skew more towards offense for what the for what the salary that was available to be given out could find. And I would argue that there are probably more players in the league who lean more towards offense than defense. Uh, just that that I think is just a a general understanding of the NBA and why it's everybody can say, I want to find guys that can, you know, play defense and offense, find these two way guys. And those guys are harder to come by. And if you have three stars and they're all making max money, it's, you're not going to be able to find as many of those guys that truly can go both ways. And, but as to, as to how that impacts winning, you have such a margin for error with LeBron and AD that you can win either way. You, pro- you probably can. So we've seen that it worked. They won a championship already by skewing a little bit more towards defense with the role players around those guys. Now, can they win one when the rest of the roster skews a little bit more towards offense? Sure, they can. And and I think that they made some some really smart acquisitions uh, towards that front. But I'm it's hard to be it's hard to be completely or I guess more comfortable going a new way when you know that the old recipe worked. And that part of it is a little tricky, but we can even think about the roster and how it shaped over from after they won the title to the next year. And I thought it did make sense to go with Schroeder specifically, and then Harrell uh, to an extent to you needed some guys that were going to be able to carry a load in the regular season because these, these, this team was going to be tired and they were ultimately going to run into a wall and they did. And, you know, Harold and Schroeder couldn't weren't going to be able to just dig them out of it alone without healthy LeBron, healthy AD, especially. And but I thought that made some sense as opposed to just running back the team that had won. And you knew that that would that worked because you knew that it was going to be a, a, a uh, just completely ridiculous task to do it back to back coming off of the bubble. And so now can this approach work, Pete? Uh, yeah, but like it is going to look different and th- there are going to be especially I think we're mostly talking about the perimeter because they're for sure they still have the rim. The rim is very much protected. And that's Frank Vogel's number one thing. 
and they they don't have the point of attack defenders at the same time, but they can funnel, you know. So like I I think that Frank Vogel will come up with a good plan for it, but it's it's definitely it's definitely going to be a zag from what we've seen the last couple of years. Very much so. And I've been wondering what the thought process behind the zag was just from a basketball perspective. And this is certainly speculative. And like you said, really only only Rob and the decision makers can explain. It might just be a, hey, no, this guy was available for a better contract than a, a better defender was. Right. And that's the way that it shook down. But again, overall, I think that that's shift toward offense. I do wonder if there's a fatigue factor that's built into that, right? Like playing the type of defense that the Lakers have played over the last couple of years, it's tiring. And it's, there were so many games where we had, we, we've cracked about the, how, how you would be wondering, Mike, during a game, like when was the last time the Lakers made a shot? And then you'd look it up and then you'd, uh, we'd see that graphic on spectrum that say zero field goals in the last 355 over and over over again this past season with the Lakers. And to win games, it's a double-edged sword, right? There's a, a certain attrition to playing defense that way that wears down players' bodies and that you can't trap and blitz and be flying all over the floor for 82 games a season. What I will miss is the ability to do that in the playoffs. When we said our goodbyes to Kuz and KCP and Caruso, we talked about that game six defense of which all three guys were a big part of that. And I remember watching that game and when the Lakers would peak, not just two years ago, but last year as well in the few parts where they were healthy, there were so many times where I was like, oh yeah, this team's not scored. Like the other team wouldn't get good shots up. Even in the first half of the Phoenix series, which seems so long ago, we were turning over turning Phoenix over, over and over and over again. They were getting seven, eight turnover quarters because they couldn't handle kind of the oppressive size and athleticism. But we also have Russell Westbrook. To me, in terms of determining our defensive ceiling, there's no player on the perimeter specifically. Mike, you have a, you make a great point. The rim is still protected. I really like THT in some elements. In others, he's just a little too young where I would feel comfortable relying on him being one of our primary defenders deep into the playoffs. Russell Westbrook has never been – he's not one of the guys you mentioned, Darius, of guys who take pride in their defense every night. He was also a guy that back at UCLA was somebody where he was an all-defensive player. His freshman year, I believe, at UCLA. And somebody where that was, he's got the tools to do it. He's one of the strongest guards in the league. He's fast. He's somebody, and when we get into the more specifics about Westbrook, we're going to do a whole Westbrook week. I think he has more value in a switching scheme than any other. And if we plan on switching a lot this season, he's not a guy that's going to get overpowered as much as a Dennis Schroeder, as a KCP. When he gets caught on a DeAndre Ayton or a bigger player, he will have value on the defensive boards, which is something when we talk about defense, we talk about it so much as a singular skill. But just like offense, it's broken up into all of these subcategories. He's arguably the best defensive rebounding guard ever right now some of them are free throw rebounds but it ain't all of them i'm, I'm working on a video on this right now in fact where he he's a special defensive rebounder combined he's got attributes darius along with experience do you think that westbrook can bridge some of that gap in a third option role where he's not he's not one of the and it even as I say that, is Westbrook the third option? He's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands a lot, right? And you shouldn't be asking Westbrook to come here to be someone else. That said, theoretically, you should have more energy for defense. Is that something you think he's capable of? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's Westbrook is at the he has been in the league for too long for me to say I think he's going to do something that I haven't seen him do in a fair amount of time. Sure. Which is take pride in what he's doing defensively. A couple of pods ago, I think it was our three stars pod, and I was talking about Westbrook and I had sort of talked about Kobe Bryant a little bit. And one of the ways that Russ probably does compare to Kobe Bryant is what are you going to do defensively for me, right? And later career Kobe, if you challenged him in a very specific way, he would get down in his stance and he would say, guess what? Not this possession. Real quick, my fa- one of my favorite anecdotes about that, Lakers at Cavs. Kyrie yes. had challenged Kobe and basically said he could beat him one-on-one. You know, and there was some – like a Team USA camp, right? And so, I mean, he couldn't – like – and we now know Kyrie. So at the time, it sounded completely ridiculous. Now we know how great Kyrie is in terms of getting his own shot and his space and all that. But no, he couldn't beat Kobe one-on-one. And Kobe – absolutely destroyed him that game he's swatting him uh, he's shoving him he's he's moving his feet with him he's getting back in trend like it was a master class uh and and i loved it so let me rephrase my question then d about westbrook do i do not expect him to do this over the course of 82 games right can westbrook defend that we need him can westbrook defend to the level that we need him to in a playoff series a lot of the questions around westbrook's fit is around his shooting right we don't really look at at it on the defensive end can he be the type of guy on that end though that we need him to be in those bigger moments knowing that in the regular season he's going to lose shooters off the ball again i have my whole westbrook on defense theories but i'd love to hear your thoughts of can he be the caliber of guy that we need him to be i hope the point i was going to make before is that he's at the show me stage of his career when it comes to this stuff is like i am not i'm not in a position to predict what he will or will not do based off of things that we have not seen from him in in a while, right? Mm-hmm. I am hopeful because I've seen him be able to play to a relatively high level in terms of the baseline that you need or expect from someone who is also going to be a high-level contributor offensively, right? And Westbrook can be an engaged and steady enough defender on the ball that I think his issues can be mitigated there, right? He is still a very physical player. He still has a fair amount of size, and there is a certain amount of do not test me on this end because, like, I've got some dog in me when you come right at me, right? To me... Where things can get trickier for Russ defensively is on all the off-ball stuff. And is he making his right rotations? Is he making them without gambling? Is he making them on time? Is he where he needs to be and where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there? And is he there over and over and over again consistently? Because team defense is about togetherness. And there is no improvisation that is going to necessarily be acceptable defensively, right? 
like color outside the lines offensively right like oh you want to get creative on on offense that's sort of where the improvisation can be beneficial right like you heard mike budenholzer talk a lot about let's be random offensively because the bucks could be a little bit too scripted and a little bit too predictable and that randomness breaks up the flow of the game in in a way that allows you to impact the opposing defense but you don't want to be random defensively you need to be locked in and you need to be where you're supposed to be and that's where my concerns lie more with Russ. It's that, all right, are you going to gamble there? Are you going to shoot the passing lane when you're not supposed to? Are you going to hunt and go for a steal when it's like, no, I I need you navigating two on the weak side there. I don't need you creeping into the lane trying to get a backside steal because now the guy in the corner is open and the Lakers just gave up a corner three. Like there's a certain amount of like, nah, man, like I need you to do your job here and not what you think is your job, but what your job actually is. And Russ is tricky like that. And so that's where my concerns are with him. You know, one way to the optimistic way to think about it, because I do agree with Darius and that we probably would have seen more of it if it were over the course of his last several stops, if this were going to be a hallmark of the way that he plays. But the optimistic point is, now he's with LeBron, and LeBron is one of the few guys that he can really look up to. And this is a guy that's won. This is a guy that I came here for a purpose um, with LeBron, whereas in the past, like whether it was the Washington deal or the Houston deal, you know, those those two things happened for a couple of different reasons, um, right? Like Paul, the whole Paul George thing, and then George goes to the Clippers. We heard, we saw a report that way. How about Russ and talking to Kawhi? But so then that was one of the few places where he could actually go to play with Harden. But here now he is, you know, this seems like something where he and LeBron and AD sat down um, again, as reported, and discussed some of this stuff. And if he's in the film room and they're watching how things work out the first couple of times that they play in the preseason, and are, shouldn't there be some elements where Frank Vogel and LeBron are going to just point out some of the things that maybe wasn't happening to the same extent in Washington or in Houston? Part of the point, because they needed Russ to do so much more on offense that he shouldn't that maybe right. he either didn't have as much energy on defense or as much focus or that you could do it but he's in his own mind like okay yeah that's great but i gotta i gotta get the rebound i gotta get our set going i gotta get the the bigs fed you know i like all of the stuff all of the burden that he had to carry um in those last spots and so again there's a flip side argument to this too in that okay well you did have Harden, he was doing a lot of that and so you should have had more so like i i still need to see it kind of like darius had alluded to earlier but is the talent there for it, at least to an extent, and at least to the degree that he's going to have to do it because they don't have another guard necessarily on defense that's just going to step in and you know do that better or do it more or do it to the point where he's going to be on the bench. So I, I, am, I am a little bit of a let's wait and see how LeBron and Frank Vogel kind of plan this all out and to what extent, you know, in AD too, right, AD on the, the defensive side and how all, all of that plays out. So much of whether or not Russ works, the individual elements, whether it's his defense, whether it's his offensive fit, uh, 
as a cutter, as a screener, as maybe a short roll four on three guy in ball screens for LeBron when teams trap LeBron. All of these roles that are different. Like you don't bring in Russell Westbrook to be somebody else, right? Or at least by and large, but he's going to have to make adjustments. And a lot of those adjustments come down to his mentality. The fact that he according to reports, stepped in to the trade negotiations and said, hey, I, I want to be traded to the Lakers. Th- that says something on some level of a, 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 a want. Now, it's easy in meetings and it's easy. The reports like, you know, he met with LeBron and they discussed it and, that you know, let's put egos aside and <clears throat> let's put egos aside and go for a title. That's easy to say in an off-season meeting over dinner where everybody's relaxed. It's much harder when you face adversity. And what do you revert to? With respect to his defense, I have hypotheses on most of the new players. That's something I really want to emphasize. This is something that a few people have mentioned on Twitter. Like, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. And to a couple of people have said, I can't wait to, for you to tell me how I should feel about this. I don't know either. It's a whole new team. It's eight new guys, right? At, at the very least. Again, anybody saying that they know what this is going to look like, it's not true. And that's part of the fun of this is be curious and learn about each of these guys' games. So, yeah, I don't know how all of this is going to fit together. And that's part of the fun of this is that it's kind of a treasure hunt of learning each of these guys' games. And, oh, he's good at this, but he's not as good at that. And these circumstances fit him. This is something I really want to emphasize is with all players, but especially the role players, which we'll talk about in the second half, is circumstances are everything a guy is a good player in some circumstances and is going to kill you and you're going to be like we can't have him on the court right now in others my hypothesis with russ and this is going to be an exploration of tape that i reserve the right to change significantly on this my hypothesis on russ is that his biggest weakness is not something that is correctable because he's with lebron because he's with the lakers and wants to win a title on the defensive end is he has an, a tendency to lose shooters he has a tendency to when guys relocate he's so interested in getting the defensive rebound which has a great deal of value that he is very much an interior player defensively off of the ball and One of the reasons I think that a switching defense is particularly suited to him and not something that he could really ever play before with the bigs that he's been with on other teams. Now, mind you, Houston is the exception, but they were the exact opposite. We talk about how the Lakers were bigger, stronger, faster. Houston was a microball team in which Russ was kind of their five, right? Anyhow. In a true switching defense where you have bigs who can switch on to smalls on the perimeter, he can be one of the smalls that switches on to a big. And it minimizes how often he has to be in those off-ball circumstances where he is more prone to getting beat. He is prone to getting back cut to losing a guy. So it's almost like a 3-4 pass rusher in the NFL that comes in on third down. I don't know. Is this still a thing, Mike? You watch more football than I do these days. Do they still have third down pass rushers? Of course. Yes, indeed. Yes. Darius can give us a player from the 80s if you want uh, that did that well. We'll do a Charles Haley, right? I was a 49er fan growing up. So (laughs) Charles Haley, actually, he was every down. Kevin Green, right? Anyhow, those guys might not be good on first and second down, but if you get them in a situation where they all they got to do is rush the quarterback, all of a sudden they're one of the elite guys in the NFL at that. And that that whole concept uh, 
fits into the NBA as well. And so my hypothesis is that Russ will actually be quite good for us in the playoffs in switching scenarios in which if we have AD starting at the five, we're probably going to be doing that more. Anyway, there's a whole multiverse of analysis and of of diving into players' games. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, rather than focusing on Russ, we're going to take a closer look at the role players. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Darius, of all of the role guys we signed, I thought we did a great job in terms of getting talent on vet minimum deals. Kendrick Nunn came for most of the taxpayer MLE. What's the signing that stands out most to you? Probably Malik Monk. Not only because the Lakers had been skewing older with a lot of their signings, but because, remember, Monk was brought in before none, at least in terms of the news, the way that the news was broken. And so the Lakers, I felt like, had still not really addressed um, another shot creator. They obviously had THT in the fold, and the idea of bringing him back was going to be helpful, but... One of the ways that you generate scoring offense and one of the reasons why the Lakers went through so many droughts last season was because they didn't really have another shot creator, a guy that you could go to who was a perimeter guy or a guard, I should say. I thought they did a good job with Carmelo Anthony. He's a guy who I think could be very useful in a variety of ways offensively. Um, We could have a whole damn pod on Carmelo Anthony. But Monk is a player who, as someone who still has a lot of upward trajectory potential within his game, I think a flyer on him could be especially fruitful. And so it's one of the reasons why I am very intrigued by him. He may end up being 
an end of the bench guy who doesn't play at all, right? Because maybe the Lakers go to all their veteran guys instead. And there's a, let's play Wayne Ellington because he's a shooter or let's play Kent Bazemore because he offers a little bit more two-way versatility or let's play THT because he's THT and we're invested in him, right? There's a bunch of different ways that Monk could in theory be squeezed, but he's also someone that, oh my goodness, did you see Malik Monk had 30 points tonight? He's one of those guys too. And he intrigues me because of that upside potential that wasn't really there in the guard base that the Lakers had chased with their other signings. He's the name on there that's the most intriguing. And part of that is directly directly related to he's a, a higher pick that has only been in one spot. Maybe the situation wasn't the best for him. He has had games where he's exploded. Like he had a great stretch in late February uh, when you know people started picking up him up on their fantasy teams where he had four straight 20-point games and then he followed it up with 19 and 18. Now, he didn't do a ton else in those games. He basically came in and you know looked to score. And, you know, it's just a turnover, not great. Like he, that's kind of what he does in the defense, not necessarily great either. And then like later in the season, he struggled a lot and he, he only hit double figures three times uh, in May. And, you know, he didn't score in the now he only played six minutes in the final game, but like he was playing 15 minutes, 14 minutes. So there was something that wasn't working in Charlotte and we, we don't know yet what that is, right? We don't know how much, what the relationship with the coaching staff was like. They also had a lot of guards, right? They had LaMelo Ball and they had Devontae Graham and they had Terry Rozier. He was the fourth guard amongst some fairly talented guys. Yeah, and some other young guys too that that uh, played down at times. So like that was that was part of it. And and that's also part of, part of the reason why they were able to let him go is because they have these guys that they're trying to give minutes to. Um, although we did see that they just departed with Devontae Graham as well. So uh, my point is when a guy leaves a team uh, like before that kind of next contract, there's there's usually something there, right? There's some sure. kind of a sure. and, and that's what we don't. That's probably that's why he was available, um, even if even if the name and the the fact that he you know went to Kentucky and like all of those things stand out. So I'm I'm right like going into a season thinking about it as a as like a as maybe a coaching staff would they're going to trust what Bazemore can do more to start. Like they, Bazemore played really well against the Lakers in that playing game. Um in in like a a high a high pressure scenario. He's hitting threes, he's defending, he's competing. Like he could be a little erratic at times, but he's like he's somebody I think that that has shown what he is in the league on both ends. And you know what you're getting a little more. And Ellington, same thing. So Ellington, you know that he you're going to be able to have a whole package for him and coming off of screens. And he's going to shoot above the break three as well. He's got all kinds of different ways to get a shot off um, and, and hit him at a high volume. So like that's something you know. And those are two guys right there. Monk, though, like, you know, Monk, I think over the course of the first couple of months of the season, will have some moments like you mentioned. And what I'm really curious to see is by the end of the season, you know, has one of those guys emerged to a greater extent than what we now know? And Monk maybe has the best chance to do that based on the unknown. But right now, like he's he's slightly lower on the depth chart, I would say, based on what we've seen all told from the past couple of NBA seasons. Really quickly on Monk, Mike, um, in terms of his late season sort of regression is he did suffer a bad ankle sprain 
and he missed almost a month of like it was early April. He suffered an ankle sprain and then he didn't come back until like the end of that. You missed month a whole month. No, yeah. he, you missed a whole month. Yeah. The April 1st to, to May 1st. Yeah, yeah, so coming back from that and then in that last push of the season in order to try to regain and recapture that early season success, I think that that's probably that probably attributed to to some of that not not finding his way back to that is is never being able to really recapture that that rhythm and he came back at the same time that LaMelo came back as well and so a lot of moving parts there and I just think that he didn't get it back for whatever reason but that was clearly a part of that in my opinion well and he's exactly the kind of high upside guy that it's nice to have, right? A guy that in his early 20s on a vet minimum contract that Malik Monk can really shoot the ball. He shoots a, a he shoots difficult threes. That's been one of the things, again, in my, we signed so many guys that my brain exploded for a little while. <laughs> I was like, where do I even start in terms of watching tape? And so in terms of our shooters, I'm pretty familiar with Kendrick Nunn on his handoffs and his spot up threes to a bit because Miami runs a lot of those handoffs. And Malik Monk's threes, I'm fairly well versed in at this point. I need to watch more Baysmore. I need to watch more Ariza. There's all these elements that, again, it's going to take all summer to really get into all of it. But one thing that's that stands out with Monk is he is able to hit shots on the move. He's able to hit sidestep threes, right? Like shot fake, rip through, step to the right, knock it down. Um, he's got good range. He's a caliber of shooter that is similar to like a Ben McLemore type of caliber shooter. Now, obviously, McLemore came with other issues. He's a much better ball handler. That's another part about Monk that I, I've really liked is that he can he can handle the ball quite a bit. He's not going to be a threat around the basket, finishing around the rim, although he's capable of we really got beat a lot on top locks, right? When a shooter is standing in the corner, somebody goes to set a, a down screen for them. The defender doesn't let you actually use the screen. He's capable of back cutting and is a good athlete. He's a lob threat. He's, he's somebody that if he's got a runway, if there's any congestion, he's not going to be that threat. But if he's got a runway because somebody overplayed, you're going to see some highlights out of him if he gets some run. But like Mike said, He's probably not high on the depth chart to start out with. And that speaks to the depth of this roster. That's something that, remember the first day we signed more of the old guys, it was Ariza and Bazemore and Dwight. And it was like, oh, you know, are we going to be able to get through an 82 game season with all these dudes over 30? Second day, it's none and Monk and kind of balances that out. But that's a strength, Mike, right? We've got we've got 12 guys that, that can give you contributions throughout the course of the season. So it's this is a yes and no. OK, this is a Darius yes <laughs> and no. And it's a strength in in terms of depth if guys go down and as you're figuring stuff out, it's a weakness in terms of harmony sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, again, another difference between the title year and the subsequent year. In the title year, the guys that weren't playing were, for the most part, totally understood why they weren't playing uh, and and you didn't hear much about it. And then last year, when you have a couple of more talented guys that are used to getting more minutes, that are used to bigger roles, and they all either have to come off the bench or are in a slightly reduced role, that can be a little bit more tricky. And especially if a couple of them, like last year it was Wesley Matthews and Marcus Saul, who starters their whole lives, they have to come off the bench or not play on given nights. And then you have Montrose Harrell, right, used to a big role, used to doing more. Like that's, I don't see, I, I think it's better than last year. Um, in that sense, because you're not you're not having, you know, 
the the expectations of guys coming in are not Wesley Matthews had started 77 games for Milwaukee the year before and Marcus right. was a career so like it's not exactly the same but it's just it's part of that whole does is it a strength that Vogel can go to multiple different lineups or is it harder because you don't you never are quite sure what the right one is and sometimes when the right one is Great obvious point. it can be a good thing for a coaching staff and for a team and for especially guys because any cohesion is completely out the window other than like LeBron and AD Dwight coming back uh, to an extent and THT like they're, they're going to have to get that cohesion out of nowhere. And they did it two years ago. So we know they can do it with LeBron, but it's like all of that to me plays into the, the yes and no part. So Darius, is it uh, is it a yes and no for you too? Or do you see it a little more clearly? No, it definitely is. But the point I was going to make is that Vogel doesn't know these guys at all. Right. And so he doesn't even know their personalities. And part of the issue, I think, with last season's team is that there wasn't a lot of togetherness time because of all of the COVID protocols and the condensed offseason combined with the amount of turnover that a championship team had. Right. And the importing of new players who you expected to play big roles, right? It all sort of contributed to the fact that when it was time to make the harder decisions on who should and should not play, it was, okay, well, sorry, guys, you're out of the rotation. And then suddenly guys just started getting hurt. And the idea was like, okay, well, now you have to play. So it doesn't really matter. And now, okay, well, this guy's back. And so, well, what happens to you now? Well, you're out of the rotation again. And so keeping that harmony was even harder last season. And it's complicated by not knowing a lot of the guys and having upwards of six or seven or eight new players who all could play, who could all be a part of a rotation, learning them, learning their personalities, learning how to communicate with them, learning like how they're even going to fit together in terms of building out capable lineups. All of that stuff just takes time. And for a team that's going to be expected to win and win right away and be a, a contending team right, right away, I wonder how much time are they going to have to put in beforehand? Like one of those like Vegas training camps that's players only would be super useful for this type of group, Pete. Yes, absolutely. And because it's not only going to take time, it's going to take sacrifice. Most of these guys that we've acquired are used to getting – 10 shots a game somewhere give or take a couple on either end and it's impossible for 10 11 12 guys to get that many attempts per game and so there may be guys in the rotation getting minutes right not sitting at the end of the bench which i'm so glad mike brought this up that this isn't just a great hey we've got 12 great jerry tarkanian the old coach from unlv won multiple national titles with them he would always say to be a great basketball team great great basketball team you need eight guys who can play and four guys who cheer like hell and that's something that's always stuck with me and i think speaks to mike's point about those guys nine through 12 your role on the team is very in and out you can come in as a result of an injury and play very well we saw this with wes matthews for example out of the rotation comes in plays very well we get a little bit healthier out of the rotation again and if you're 25 26 year old kendrick nunn or 23 year old malik monk 
and you're really just playing here on a one-year deal, right? That that could be complicated. That could be something where, well, who signs me to my next contract? If you're Carmelo Anthony, who's used to getting shot, go ahead, go ahead. No, Mike. Pete, yeah, I was just gonna bring Melo up, right? Like, so Melo yep. Melo played every night last year in Portland, and he often scored in double figures, and he often hit, uh, you know, multiple threes. But like, are there are there nights when you'd rather have somebody else play backup four? And you want to go a little smaller, right? And have a Rizzo who can defend wings a little better. And then maybe you play Bazemore at the three or you want to get Monk in there. Like, is is this a year where Mello is going to be comfortable with that? And That's right. if, so, like, there's there's just some there's some questions there that that will get ironed out. And as always, healthy LeBron and AD paper over all this stuff. And now we bring Russ into it. So it's just it's there's so many storylines. Like, I, I was joking around in the text the other day. We need yeah. – we need like 58 pods yes. to get through all this <laughs> yes, just before the season starts. Like before we even yes. watch them play basketball, we got to talk about <laughs> all this stuff, man. The thing that I was going to say, and we'll probably talk about this much more in our week of Russell Westbrook pods, but I think the style of play that the team commits to is going to be super important in terms of also bringing this group together in a way where everyone is sort of satisfied and happy. What is the ideal style of play from this group? Do you think? I think this team is built to run. I think they need to play fast. Yeah. Yeah. They need to play fast. And I think getting out in transition, spraying the ball around, getting layups, getting dunks, getting open threes off of drive, driving kicks, like running off of makes, running off of misses, running off of turnovers, running, running, running. I think this team needs to play fast. They need to commit to that. And I think that's a way where Vogel could start to instill some of his defensive identity and defensive principle stuff as well. Like, look, we want to play fast. In order to play fast, we have to defend in order, and we need to be disruptive, and we need to rebound the ball. And like, you know Vogel, Vogel, for all the talk about Russ and a leopard doesn't change his spots, well, you know who's not going to change his spots very much? Frank Vogel. That's right. right? <laughs> Who is yeah. coached probably the same damn way his entire career coming up under Rick Patino and Jim O'Brien, and we're going to play defense and everything is going to be focused off of that first, right? We're going to protect the rim. We're going to rebound the ball. And then after that, we're going to bludgeon you. Well, the Lakers championship team, they didn't, they weren't a league leader in pace, but they were one of the best and high volume transition teams that you were going to find. And yeah, our transition game persisted throughout all the way through the finals in ways that teams that, like you said, we weren't a high pace team, but a lot of the higher pace teams, they're not as effective while running like that. And pace and pace is a, is a misnomer sometimes. Like if, if you ever say that to Frank Vogel, and I made the mistake of doing it like the first year, like, well, yeah, but you guys are pretty lower in pace. And you'd be like, no, 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 no. Like all, a lot of times all that means is the teams that try to chuck a ball like early in the shot clock. And then, mm-hmm. and then like, it doesn't make you fast just because you try to increase possessions. Right. So pace. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you, and you guys of course know this and Darius just brought up the actual point that fast break, like that's really the, the hallmark of what we should think about pace for not like not just getting as many shots up as you can. And then also not being able to defend, which means that teams can score on you um, earlier in the clock or not playing transition defense yourself. Like the Washington wizards. I always think of two years ago when it's like, Whoa, they're, they're scoring a, a million points, but oh, wait, they gave up 140. 
So they're right. fast pace. Anyway, that my little tangent there. Sorry. There is there is pace and there is tempo, right? I want the Lakers to play with tempo, right? I don't care if they play if they don't get a shot up in the this isn't the seven seconds or less suns, right? What I want though is play with Rob Palinka use has used the word like thrust in the past, right? And there is a certain amount of downhill action that you want from the Lakers when they're playing their best. And I bet if you asked Frank Vogel what Lakers basketball is, he will tell you it's getting a defensive stop and then turning around and pushing the ball up the court and getting some action right at the front of the rim. Like he, that, that's what it looks like to him. It is being disruptive defensively, either getting a steal or a block or a defensive rebound, and then going back the other way and being opportunistic in the open court and scoring, right? And you don't have to do that fast, but there's a certain amount of verve that I think the Lakers need to play with. And they are built to do that with LeBron, with Russell Westbrook, with Anthony Davis, I would argue with Dwight Howard, right? There is some force that they have the ability to play, play with. And I think that that's going to have to be the calling card of this team. And if you can play that way, when you get downhill, you can start to spray the ball around and kick it out to Mello for an open corner three or Wayne Ellington trailing above the break or Kent Bazemore, right, running weak side or Ariza or THT and on and on and on it goes. And just one quick note, and I want as to one of the 58 pods I mentioned that I want to do is figuring out what the starting lineup is going to be, which likely yeah. is just one spot. And is it in like – what you're just saying, Darius, about the thrust and getting up and down in transition, and I do think first about Bazemore, just in the sense that I know he's going to run up and down on the wing, and that's I don't like. I got to see some more of that. I got to watch some tape on Monk for that. I, Ellington, that's not as much his game. Uh, so, like that part of it, in, in essentially filling in for what KCP did, which was so valuable there. Like, I think Bazemore got, has the best shot at that, and he might fit in. Also, you know, no, he doesn't care if all he does is shoot corner threes and sprints up and down and plays defense. He's totally fine with it, totally happy. So I that's my early thought, but there's a lot to be broken down about how that actually plays out. Yeah, there's. I have so many thoughts. Like, Bazemore, a lot of the guys that we signed are exceptional on wide-open threes, which I think we're going to create a lot of. Bazemore is the most uh, glaring example of this. He shot, I think, 46% on his wide-open threes compared to 24% on his open threes. And the way that that's defined is wide-open is if the nearest defender is six feet or more away. Open is considered four to six feet. Anyhow, we got a lot of guys who, when they're wide open and get their feet set, are, are really good on those types of shots. I agree that we're a transition team. We're also a team that is largely over 30. And so that is going to be, I want to do a whole pod on our transition game for sure. I'm going to wrap it up here because while I want to do 58 pods, I don't want all of them to be 58 minutes long. This has been a ton of fun. We've got so much to talk about and we definitely will on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block.
that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. That was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.